Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 will be our chapter this morning. We're a little out of sequence. Uh, Brian asked me to take this chapter, so he'll pick it up next week again in chapter 2. But this morning, uh, we're going to bring you a message titled, When Your Faith is Shaken. When Your Faith is Shaken. Of course, the whole idea of this is around this theme, Flourish. And you know, when you think of this uh, book that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, it's just uh, five little chapters, but they're very impactful. Uh, one thing you'll, you've probably noticed if you've uh, gone through the book at all, you'll see it in each chapter he talks about the second coming of Christ. And uh, he, he makes that a point. This uh, young church was, was uh, homesick for heaven, and they had lost loved ones and gone through some tests that way. And, and, and Paul gives them a great reminder of, of, of what's ahead for them uh, by way of of, of the hope of, of Jesus coming for us, for his church. Um, faith, this, uh, again, chapter uh, deals with that and uh, the idea of tests that come and, and shake our, our faith. You know, we've, we, we've learned and heard said often that, that trials and tests will make us bitter or better. And uh, our hope is that when we go through tests, trials, uh, tough times that we will be stretched to, to move inward, close to Christ. I remember uh, Jay Vernon McGee told the story of how he'd get in trouble at school often. And uh, he'd skip school and go fishing. That was something kids were, did back then, uh, skip school and go fishing. We wouldn't mind that too much today, would we? Uh, if that was just a minor problem that our kids went through. But, but he said he'd come back to the school and, and uh, the, the principal would spank him. And uh, he realized when he'd get spanked, the closer he got to the paddle, the less the spanking would hurt because it would take some of the leverage away from the, from the guy spanking him, the principal. So I say that too, when God spanks you sometimes or you need that little bit of a, a bring back or you go through a test in your faith, well, uh, get close to the paddle because it's gonna, it won't sting as much. Get close to him, draw in close to him, because James, again, tells us that tests will come, not when or if, but when they come. And, and there's a, a good thought for us this morning from 1 Thessalonians 3 of how we can face tests, how we can face those sometimes uh, uh, spankings that God gives us. What I'd like to do is uh, take a minute and just read this chapter. So I'd like us to read it responsively. And if you've never done a responsive reading, this is the first time you get to respond to the reading this morning. So will you stand with me this morning? First Thessalonians chapter 3. It, it should come up on the screen this morning. I'll be reading from the, from the ESV. And, and what I'd like to do is, is read the first verse. And then you, if you would, you could read the second verse. And we'll go back and forth. It's just, it's just 13 verses, okay? Um, Verse 1, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left in Athens alone. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. 
For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And then verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You may be seated. <clears throat> Flourish. The best word to describe a Christian who is maturing, who is, is growing in their faith. When we're flourishing, if we were to define that, we would say to be healthy and thriving, to blossom. To be at the height of influence. You know, people who are flourishing in Christ are people you, you, you most likely be, like to be around if you're a follower of Christ. And, and Paul was one of those who was flourishing in his faith. As, you, as we go through this and as we think of uh, this idea of, of growing, we see that Paul's desire for this church was that they would, would stand fast. That they would be firm. That they would be a grounded church. Uh, Study tells us that the church was started probably in about three weeks by Paul. And, and, and he needed to leave Thessalonica quickly. And, and his, his desire for the church was, I hope they make it. And, and he's doing all he can to, to, uh, to help them grow. And what he does is he, he, he does three things to help them in this chapter. And that's where we're going to uh, push this message toward this morning. How he helped them be established. How he helped them be grounded in the faith. You know, Paul encourages the church, this is your introduction, in Thessalonica, and he gives them three ways to stay strong in their faith and continue to flourish. And, and what's cool is there's that little statement at the end of the introduction, even while he was going through tough times. And again, as we said at the beginning, we'll, we'll all go through times that are tough uh, as we just journey. But what's great about Paul is, you know, he doesn't have a pity party for himself. You know, he's not there, well, you know, poor little old me. He's pushing himself outward. He's, he's being a minister to those that he uh, has a heart for. And that, of course, is this church, this group of believers in, in Thessalonica. And, and what he does here is we look at this. The first five verses, he gives us uh, uh, a great model and that is, be a friend. And he sends a friend to them. And of course, that friend we know as Timothy. And Timothy we know as a person who was his son in the faith. He was probably one of his best friends in the ministry. We see that he's left alone in Athens. And he realizes that for them to flourish as a church was they need some help. So he sends them Timothy, our brother and minister of God, a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish and encourage them concerning their faith. And see, that's what we're called to do. 
We're called to be ministers, to share truth, to be friends to those God puts in our life. You know, as a local church, you know, there's times where different ones in our, in our church family go through a test. Therefore, our opportunity is to be that friend, to go to them and be a minister. In fact, sometimes you don't even have to say anything. A great thing to do is just have your ministry of presence. My problem is I say too much at times. I said, I just wish he'd shut up and just listen to me and pray for me. And see, that's a good model for, for all of us to, to be that friend. As Paul sent a friend to them, he was there to encourage them. I love what's said in Philippians regarding Timothy. It says this in Philippians 2, verses 19 and 20 through 22. It says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Again, concern for Philippi here. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. That beautiful picture of, of, of a testimony of a man. He, there's just no one like Timothy. He's like-minded. He's not going to be about himself. He's going to be there for you. His proven character is above reproach. You know, as we think through this, as we think of the idea of him sending a friend, there's, there's three reasons. There's maybe more, but there's three that come out in this passage as to why Paul sent Timothy to this church. And the first one was just to establish the church, to help them be a grounded church, to, to help them be strengthened, to help them be encouraged, to help them be uh, comforted in truth. And again, Paul's desire was that they be a rooted church, a church rooted in truth and in the gospel. And it's important that we're a church like that. I love a passage that helps us understand this, and that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We've heard this oftentimes, but it's a great reminder for all of us about the scriptures and what it does in the life of the believer and how it encourages us, where it says, <clears throat> all scripture... It's given by inspiration of God. That idea of inspiration is God breathed it. They're words of God. The, that Bible you carry, you have on your phone, is the actual words of God. His love letter to us. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good work. What a beautiful passage. You know, just a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, Brian was sharing this passage, and he broke it down for us. And I, I thought it was so good I'd copy it. So now I'm going to give it to you. Where he said, doctrine tells us what is right. It just tells us what the right thing is to do. That's what the scriptures teach us. It teaches us how to be a parent. It teaches us how to be a spouse. It teaches us how to be a church member, how to, how to be a citizen. You know, doctrine does that. Reproof tells us what is not right. You know, sometimes the scriptures do have to reprove us. You know, if you're, if you're not being the employee you're called to or the employer you're called to, you know, you're reproved. And the scriptures sometimes help us understand that. Then they correct us. They tell us how to get right. Uh, the idea of they restore us. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's, that's restoration when we confess our sins. And then there also are instruction to tell us how to stay right. That's what the scriptures do. They just help us stay on the path. 
They, they help us live a righteous life, and that's the beauty of Scripture. And God's given us that. And he wants this church to be established. So, so again, Timothy comes along to help them be established. Another passage just to remind us of this morning is 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2, where he charges Timothy. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. God's charged us all for that. We're all to be teachers of the word, to live out the word, to let us uh, be uh, agents to, to carry the message. So again, he wanted this church to be established, to be grounded, to be rooted. And good churches that are rooted stand on the truth. They stand on the scripture. And then he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted them to be encouraged as a church. And the great thing about that is he sends this fellow worker, this man we know as Timothy. Um, you know, the idea of, of to encourage here is that he, he's told, we're, we're told that he's sent here to minister. The idea of ministry is the idea of one who's, who, who serves as a deacon. And we're all called to that. So we have deacons here at our church. They're called to serve. But every person in our church is called to be a server. And again, what's God calling us to do as a, as a member of, of this body? And, and, and it's more than just coming in here and taking up a spot. It's out, you're to be out there serving. Thank the Lord for you know, the, the, the crew we had here to help us serve Bible school this week. It was very refreshing to, to see uh, those who were serving. You know, many of you serve in a connect group by, by leading it. Uh, you heard about a ministry this morning on a, on a Wednesday afternoon to to, to minister to, to young people in our community. It's a great place to serve. And, and, and God's called us to that. Timothy's heart of a servant was, was a big encouragement to this church family. You know, it, it's nice to be around people that encourage. You know, sometimes we're so doom and gloom where we don't attract. But I'll tell you, it's, when you're around encouragers, they're just fun to be around. They're fun people. They're good people. They're godly people. And God's called us to be encouragers. So he sends Timothy to encourage the church. And then there's one more thing he does here. He, he, he just wanted to know their, their status. He, he inquired about the church. Uh, he, he was, what's going on with them? Again, he, he needed to leave abruptly from Thessalonica. And his heart is, I hope they're, I hope they're strong enough. I hope they're, they're rude enough. I hope the leadership's strong enough. And so he sends them Timothy. And he could endure it no longer, verse 5 tells us. And, and he just he was worried about the tempter that was there. Of course, the tempter being uh, the devil himself. And we need to be on guard against him because he, he, he's good at, at tempting us and causing us to get off track and to, to, to get us sideways. So he sends them a friend. He sends them Timothy. So an application as we think through this first point is be that friend. You know, go to people who God's put in your life. And sometimes it's family members, sometimes it's church members, sometimes it's co-workers. Uh, be that friend God calls you to be. Uh, and and we're, we're, we're to do that, and we're to do that as, as a minister, as a server that we, we, we learn in this passage. And then secondly, I love what he does here in verses 6 through 8. He sends them a letter. He sends them a letter. And, of course, that letter is First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, verse 6 says, Now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith 
and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. This verse bridges for us the moment that Paul begins this letter. Uh, Timothy returns, gives the news that they're, they're staying strong, they're enduring. And, and notice what it says in this verse. It says, you brought us good news. In fact, I, I think of this, this report from Timothy was, to, for Paul, was like he, hearing the gospel. In spite of the persecution they were going through, they were faithful. And, and, and Paul writes them this letter to encourage them further. Um, these two letters we know as part of God's word. God's inspired, breathed word. His word to, to help us uh, grow in him, to help us be established in him. And, and he wants that to be part of our life. He wants the written word to be part of our life. You know, we should be walking truth of what the Bible teaches. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be men and women who live out truth. We respond biblically with our actions and with reactions, and, with, and, with, and our reactions, excuse me. Um, and what I like about this, if you go over just to 2 Thessalonians, you would see that, that, that the idea of this was answered. It says, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word and by our letter. This, this idea here is their, their faith uh, was, was strong in the truth, and, and God allowed these, the, the word to do that. And see, God's word does that. You, you know, there's a couple thoughts here, and these are on your notes here. One thing God's word does for us, it nourishes us. You know, as you can tell, I get lots of nourishment. And, uh, you know, I love nourishment. That's the, one of the great things about Bible school. You, they have food. You know, about, every, about 10.30 every morning this week, I come down for a little snack. And then I'd have lunch later, and it was a meal. And I'm thankful, but I need, I needed nourishment, or at least I thought, you know. Uh, I didn't, but I enjoyed it anyway. Proper nourishment really helps you grow, and, and some of you are, are good in that, good at, in fit people. But uh, some of you, as I can tell, overnourish like I do. We need to stop that. Uh, anyway, that wasn't in my notes. Um, <laughs> But the idea of God's word is it gives us nourishment. It gives us uh, uh, food to, 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 to ward off the attacks that Satan gives us. In fact, even Jesus Christ, it says in Matthew 4, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, we need the nourishment. We need the Word of God to, to nourish us. And another thing that the Word of God does, it gives us guidance. It's light to guide us. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what God's Word does. Now, I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting what you remember. I remember Mr. Palmer, who was our 6th uh, or 7th grade Sunday school teacher back in the day. And Mr. Palmer used to bring us great object lessons to our Sunday school class because, you know, it's sometimes hard to listen in church is, uh, is obvious. Uh, but, but, but what he did one week was he brought in a little lantern, a little lamp of what probably this lamp looked like back in the early days. And, and what he, he turned off all the lights in the room 
and he lit this lamp, and it, and it gave us light in the room, but it didn't light the whole room. And, and he showed us that that lamp just showed us a, a step or two in front of us. And, you know, that's kind of the way God is. He doesn't give us the whole picture. But sometimes we just know that first step or that second step or even that half a step. And, and the lamp gives us guidance and it gives us enough guidance so we can see the Father and we can see him working. And I thank the Lord for Mr. Palmer because I still remember that passage that he shared on the word being a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, we can see where we're going and we can see the path. And, and thankfully, we can't see the big picture because that would probably scare us too much. But, you know, just seeing enough to get us through is a good thing. And then there's one more thought here. God's word is a weapon to defend us. It's a weapon to defend us. And I love what Ephesians says. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, that's the weapon you have. You know, that, that, that gives us defense. It gives us uh, comfort. It gives us stability. It gives us protection. And, and God's word does that. Live out the truths of his, of his word. Paul uses a letter to encourage the church. Point two, can I encourage you as a body this morning to use letters to encourage people in truth? You know, it might be, a, Paul didn't, he couldn't text message, but you can write a letter through a text message. You can shoot an email. You can even send snail mail. I, I'll never forget back uh, early on in my ministry, you know, because, you know, it sometimes can be a, uh, a hard thing ministry. And uh, people would just send me these letters. In fact, I still save them when I start having pity parties. I have a file on my desk. Uh, that I, I'll pull out that file and I got a bunch of letters that people have sent me. And, you know, they just, I'll read them and I'll say, man, I guess I am okay. And they encourage me with their letters. But, but what's really cool, some of these letters, they'll, they'll even add scripture to them. God's word. And what better thing to encourage us than God's word. In fact, one of those letters I remember receiving, uh, they signed it with this passage, Hebrews 6.10. Now, now listen to this passage. Just what it says. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. So, so that's my encouragement to you this morning. A letter from God's letter. God's not unjust. He'll not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help him. So press on. Keep writing letters, keep believing the letter that God's given us to give us encouragement. So a beautiful thing he does. He sends them a letter. He, he sends them a friend. And then the last thing he does in verses 9 through 13, he prays for him. He prays for him. You know, when you think of the word of God, it's a good thing, but it shouldn't stand alone. The word of God should go with prayer and vice versa. You know, it shouldn't be all prayer and not the Word of God. There's a, a healthy balance. A grounded, healthy church is built on these truths, prayer and the Bible. If a church is all teaching but does not have prayer, then the people will have light but not power. 
And often they become arrogant. They think, well, we've arrived. We, we can uh, impart knowledge. We can give out truth. And there's not a, a, a basking in prayer that needs. And then if a church is all prayer but no teaching, they become emotionally unstable and don't have substance. So again, it's good to have a balance. And, and, and Scripture gives us so much about prayer. First Samuel 12, we, 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 we read these words, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord and stop praying for you. We need to be people who pray. Peter in Acts 6 says, But we, were devoting, we, we will be devoted our, to ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of God's word. Kind of cool the way those go together. And then Jesus himself says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fall. And again, very important. Prayer is important. Paul gives us uh, a prayer here that he offers for this church in Thessalonica. In fact, uh, study Paul's life in prayer. You know, Paul was in prison, as we know. But we we know the prison epistles as Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Philemon, and Colossians, right, Chuck? Those four are what we know as, as, as prison epistles. And, and at the beginning of each of those chapters, uh, he gives a prayer for that church. And it's a good reminder and a good model of how to pray that, you know, he gives some real specifics there how he prayed for their church, uh, those churches. And, and we can copy those. Um, but as he, he, he goes through this, he, he offers the prayer in three specific ways here. He requests, first of all, that the church would have a faith that would be mature. You know, you know what you don't see here? That the persecution would stop. You know, you know he, 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 he talks here that, hey, help them stand in the persecution. May their faith be secure in Christ here. In fact, it says, night and day, praying exceedingly, exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. You know, Paul had such a love for this church. You know, in chapter 2, he referred to himself as a, as a nursing mother. And he referred to himself as a, as a father. And, and, and you know, uh, he cared about these people. And he wanted to see them just be a church that's grounded and rooted and in truth. You know, what a, a good example for us as parents and grandparents to want this for those God's entrusted to us. Um, what's cool is, if you go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, the, that prayer is answered. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. So, so their faith was maturing. Their faith was growing. And then he says, not only that in a prayer... But he, he wants them to be lovers, that their love might abound, that their love might abound, increase more and more, uh, you know, uh, uh, to multiply, to excel, to overflow. That's that idea of, of, of abounding. And, 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 you know, he uses that idea there of, of love for one another. You know, we, we had said several weeks ago when I preached, we talked about the one another's in the scripture. That there were like 59 one another's in the Bible of how we're to care for one another. I, I just have a few of them here from the book of Romans. In Romans 12 verse 10, we're, we're told to be devoted to one another. Again, these are good principles for our church. You have a devotion for one another. We're to honor 
one another above ourselves. We're to have honor for each other. In verse 16, don't worry, you're not hearing anything. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay. Don't, don't pay attention. Stay with me. Romans 12, we're to, to, to honor one another above ourselves. You know, what's honor look like? There's a respect. You know, it's amazing. We we're, uh, had a little vacation the last uh, several days. We, uh, our family's all in town, or we're in town. And, uh, you know, it's amazing when you see some of the disrespect that takes place between parents and children. And uh, it should not be. There's not that honor. And, and again, I think it's a two-way street. We're told, uh, uh, children are told to honor their parents. But I think there has to be an honor or respect on, for, from both sides. And, and the Lord tells us to honor one another. In Romans 12.10, we're to live in harmony. In other words, get along. You're not all going to agree. In fact, we all have different hairstyles. That's obvious. But we shouldn't fight over that. You know, we should just embrace it if we don't have hair. We should just be glad if our hair starts turning colors. That's just kind of the way it is. So, so there should be a harmony, a love for one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Instruct one another. These are all in Romans. And then uh, we're to greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, I'll let you figure that one out. So the idea is to be, just hug if you want. Uh, but the idea is to just have a, a, a harmony, a special closeness. So, so one another is mentioned there in verse 12. But then there's a little phrase that says, love one another, and then it says, to all. You know, we can't miss that either. That's outside the church, I believe. Those are, are, are others that have some specific needs out there that God calls you to. That might be an enemy. That might be someone who you don't see as, as attractive, as, as uh, maybe even an opponent of yours. You know, that all is there for a reason. You know, we, we have a, 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 a love for and a bound for all is what I see here. And then one more, there is that idea to, to live holy lives, that they would live holy lives. And we see this in verse 13. You know, he wanted them to be blameless. He wanted them to be holy. Uh, when you're holy, you're set apart to God. You're free from fault and blame. You're still going to sin, but probably when you do sin, you take care of it quickly. In fact, I know you take care of it quickly. When you mess up, you fess up. You don't give up. You know, you, 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 you live a blameless life. Uh, you're a good neighbor. You're a good citizen. You're, you're, you're a good employer. You're a good employee. You have a reputation that's uh, above reproach. In fact, uh, Several years ago in college, I came across the book called The Measure of a Man by a fellow named Gene Gitz. And it took uh, a part of Titus 1 and, and 1 Timothy 3, and it just talked about this idea of being blameless. And it, in the book, uh, the, guy, the guy actually met with several men, and he wrote the book as a result of being in Bible study with these men. And uh, these are some of the things that came out of the Bible study when they talked about this idea of blameless. And these are some of the observations men said what a blameless person looks like. A blameless person is a, is a lovable person. A person who you would trust with your bank account. A blameless person is one that doesn't take advantage of you. A blameless person hangs in and perseveres. Here's one. A blameless person admits when they're wrong. They're teachable. They're sensitive people. 
They are discretionary as to what they say and what they think. To be blameless. God calls us to that. And, and you know, as, as we think of this idea of them living holy lives, you know, the idea for them was in this, in this prayer was that they would finish well. That they would be men and women. women. They'd be a church that finished well. Again, they, 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 they weren't a perfect church. But there was a lot in this church that was blameless. And, and, and they, even though had a faith that was shaken, they stood firm. They flourished. Application. A powerful chapter to this young church. And as I think of Paul's model, it's a model for each of us here this morning. Write a letter. Be that friend. Be that friend that prays. You know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a great opportunity as we think of this, this privilege that we have that we can pray for one another and be people who pray. Be, pray. Um, I, can I just throw out something here? There's a, a verse in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. And it talks about a man who we don't really hear probably a lot about in Scripture, but his name was Epaphras. In fact, this might be the only place he's mentioned in the whole Bible. But Epaphras, this is what Paul says about Epaphras in Colossians 4.12. says, Epaphras is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You know, wouldn't it be cool if we had Epaphras in our lives and we were that person, that Epaphras to others in their lives. Will we, will we, will we pray and, and struggle on behalf of, of others? And that prayer is that we'd stand mature and be fully assured that God's working and what he's doing. What a rich prayer reminder for all of us. How are we flourishing? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 15 57 and 58 say it this way. And in your notes, I'm sorry, but I have it wrong in there. It's not complete. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that we can be reminded in your word of how we're to live life. We thank you that it instructs us, it rebukes us, it teaches us, it, it gives us a, a road map to follow. And Lord, I believe you've given us three simple reminders here this morning to, to, to be a friend, to maybe write a letter, correspond, or to pray. And to be that person in the life of someone who's not maybe flourishing so well right now. So we pray, God, that we would just take this message and may it be a good reminder for all of us of how we're to do life and how we're to minister in this body. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we give an invitation this morning, will you stand with me this morning? Myself and Christian are here at the front.